Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. I'm joined by Robbie Martin today. Hi, guys. Today we have a special interview with Anoa Changa. She's an attorney, progressive activist, and commentator based in Atlanta who hosts The Way with Anoa Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. She's also managing editor of the Progressive Army. Recently, Anoa was featured in a piece on NPR affiliate WABE News, but not for her amazing activism. It was instead for being a Russian stooge, simply because she goes on socialist radio shows on Sputnik, a Russian broadcaster, to talk about her progressive causes. Well, we're joined now with Anoa to talk about her work, this absurd smear campaign, and the larger context of Trump and Russia. Thank you so much for making the time and coming on with us, Anoa. Well, I appreciate you both very much for making the time for this conversation to happen. And like I said um, to, to some other folks, thank you for not just having this conversation without me present. There are <laughs> folks out there who are doing that and using this for their own clicks. So I really do appreciate you all for valuing the conversation and my presence in the space. So thank you. Of course. Uh, yeah, before we get into the latest insanity, I know I wanted to first talk to you about what drove you to this kind of activism in the first place and how you got involved in the Bernie Sanders uh, campaign. Ah, so I, I'll take, well, both of them, they're basically the same answer. My parents, my um, <laughs> my parents are, I don't, I, I, I always struggle to find a label to qualify my parents. My parents are, you know, pro, uh, radical black uh, activists in their own right. My stepfather is a former Panther and was one of the founding board members of Critical Resistance. Um, he's actually the acting chair currently of Jericho Movement. My mother also similarly involved in radical black politics um, and same with my father. And actually it was my father who um, in almost three years now said to me that I should consider, you know, the old guy from Vermont because, you know, he has some good stuff because I, I actually sat down in my 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 my, my dad's living room. And I told him, I said, I don't know if I'm voting this, this, this primary. Like, I don't, I don't know that I can vote for her. And I know there are those people out there and who, who, who don't like to hear that type of conversation, but having not voted for Hillary Clinton in 2008 and remembering very well the campaign she ran then and not really seeing much change in anything and any, anything she was putting forward, I could not see myself supporting her as a primary candidate. And for the first time in my adult life, I found myself considering not voting. Um, and my dad was like, well, you know, I think Bernie's, this is right before he announced, he's like, Bernie's supposed to be announcing. And I was like, oh, really? Um, and so I, I gave him a look. And not only did I decide to vote for him, when I saw the excitement that was starting around Bernie Sanders and that there were these grassroots groups popping up looking for people to help, I figured, why not? And so I volunteered with Women for Bernie and then later on with Acrobatics for Bernie, I'm doing digital organizing with both and starting new interviews with both. And that's what ended up leading me ultimately to doing podcasts and working with Progressive Army. I love it. I love that you just became a content creator and you just dove head first. And I couldn't agree more about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> um, I could not agree more. And, and yeah, you look at Bernie's history and he just has such a stellar track record of just fighting for advocacy for consumers and et cetera. And he's just a real guy. Um, let's talk about this insane story, you know. I mean, when you first heard from NPR affiliate WABE News, what did they tell you they wanted to do a story on, and what was your initial reaction? So my initial reaction, I mean, not that I don't think I'm a fabulous person or interesting person to talk to, um, but at the <laughs> same time, my initial reaction was like, oh, that's interesting, because I don't, I'm not really, I, I don't have like the super largest platform in any realm that I'm in and I'm not even like a leading activist here in Atlanta. I do, I'm, I don't, I try to make sure that I'm very clear that I center a lot of people who are doing amazing work here. I am proud to support other people's efforts, but it's not like I'm leading the charge down here. Right. So I was, I was taken aback a little bit, but then he explained that he had read my article that I wrote in the nation um, last November, which actually was inspired after a friend and colleague had actually been attacked for the same exact issue, um, appearing on Eugene Perrier's By Any Means Necessary here in Atlanta. Uh, Marcus Farrell was attacked by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is the major paper in our region, for the fact that he did interviews on um, Eugene's uh, show. And it was it was directly 
this whole, oh my God, Russia. He did Russia media to promote the campaign that he was working on. He's working for um, Stacey Abrams, who's running down here for governor. And that was this whole big deal. And we did it. Marcus didn't want to make a big deal of it at the time because him being in that more traditional political world felt that drawing attention to it, even if it was to defend him, could affect the candidate that he really supported and believed in. And so, you know, a bunch of us were like, okay, fine, we let it drop. And what was interesting, what Marcus has shared with me since this has happened to me, was that that same reporter who did the story on me actually reached out to Marcus back in October to see if he was okay and said that that was not a relevant story. So why all of a sudden now it's a relevant story is really interesting. Um, and and I and when when they approached when he approached it was like you know we realized that you know you're kind of your name's coming up a little bit down here and which I think was interesting I guess because I'm not like some bigger political down here so uh, my commentary on the selective accountability that has been happening in our governor's race I know there are a lot of people who do not think that either candidate we have running as Democrats here are very progressive but at the same time my point is that if we're going to hold people accountable, we should be consistent across the board. And it's very one-sided and biased with the media coverage we have locally. And so that's been a that's a pet peeve of mine. If we're gonna if we're gonna critique people, let's critique everybody. So when I supported Bernie Sanders, you know, if he messed up, Bernie got the business too. I mean, you know, we can critique people we we respect and that we support because that's what makes them better. So when we talked, I thought it was gonna be a more robust piece about me. Um, about what kind of, how I got started, because that's the other thing, right? Like a lot of people don't understand these progressive spaces. They don't understand like even with independent media. So I thought it was a genuine, honest opportunity, particularly since he acknowledged that the few times I have been covered locally, no one's ever actually tried to interview me. No one's asked me for comment and they've misrepresented or mischaracterized what I was doing, what I was saying. Most notably, um, there was a protest that happened at Netroots last summer um, where um, Stacey Evans, who's Stacey Abrams' opponent, was shouted down by a group um, over education. But it was reported that basically a bunch of black people shot down uh, a poor Southern white woman and made her cry. I mean, that, that was the <laughs> way that it was made. And so when he seemed to understand in our initial conversations, and so I spent a detail, a, a significant amount of time, a couple of hours sitting down with him for an interview. And then we followed up, you know, periodically after that, he was like, you know, update me things. The the piece, there was a piece about um, like how the SPLC had did that, had those series of really horrible articles that weren't even factually correct about like uh, Max Blumenthal and others. And he was like, this seems related to what you've been talking about. So there seemed to be an acknowledgement or understanding. I mean, when we talked, we talked very thoroughly about the issues with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and how if we're going to talk about the issues of this 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 political social media space and troll accounts and and, you know, boosting and impressions and things like that. Let me talk about all of it, because. The, the, the Russian troll farm stuff was such a small percentage of actual activity and behavior that we saw happening, you know, in the election. And so if we're really concerned about damaging information and these automated accounts and things like that, we need to be looking at all of it. Right. And 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 I can do a very nuanced conversation about all that. I've done it with several different people on a couple of different platforms, including my own. And so I thought that was the conversation we were having. Um, and it wasn't until last Monday when I got a fact check email that I realized that this is not the interview I thought I was having. I mean, even when he was he asked me to connect with Eugene Perrier and his co-host Sean Blackman and their producer, Bob, um, you know, it was to I said I was like, you know, he wanted to ask you a little bit more detail about specifically the issue of, um, you know, the Russia component of my 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 nation article because they work directly with Sputnik. Right. And. I'm, our impression was because of Eugene's activism and his work that he wanted more of his take and opinion in that respect, not to just do the, oh, you're a Russian, you know, propaganda <laughs> pusher, right? So, so, but, but, but even then in response, before he was able to finally have this conversation with Eugene, when he was setting up that initial conversation, he said, well, that's a piece of it, but I really want to focus on Anoa. And if anyone has ever listened to me or gotten to know me, you know, Robbie, you and I've had so many deep conversations. Like I'm way more than the fact that I've been on Eugene's show. And by the way, Eugene's show is fabulous. Eugene has such great analysis and content and discussion, this notion that somehow Eugene is a tool of Russian propaganda is like asinine. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah, you, I mean, Eugene Perrier is one of the most brilliant, and uh, along with Sean Blackman, frankly, two of the most brilliant progressive activists I've ever met. They've done groundbreaking work. Eugene, you know, everything from housing justice to Black Lives Matter. He's on the forefront of everything. He's been an activist since he was in high school. So it's offensive to the fucking core to hear this kind of, uh, you know, basically just addressing him as a, as a simply a Russian stooge alongside Brian Becker, frankly. I mean, this is a person who's been doing activism for literally decades across the country. Um, and, 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 and to your point, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times, Noah, that mainstream outlets like NPR, Guardian, BBC will get in contact with me, appear to be genuinely interested in my work, lead me along, um, have these conversations with me, say, yeah, no, I, you know, kind of like, basically make me think that they're promoting me, you know, and, 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 and understanding my point. And then just only to reveal that they really just want me to tell them about how Russia today is a Putin mouthpiece and I'm a stooge. Um, Robbie, did you have anything to say? There was something you said, Anoa, that I just wanted to clarify. Was this, um, author when he was reaching out to you, was he using, was he already describing to you things that he had read in that Alexander Reed Ross SPLC article about the nation being somehow, in collusion with Russia? Well, so no, that was like a subsequent follow-up after our conversation. So after our, after our conversation, like he sent me a text message. He says, oh, have you seen this? I can actually pull it up right now. Like he was just like, oh, have you seen this article? Like, do you, do you know about this? And it's, I, I often, when people send me stuff, I'm often like, yes, I know about this. I pay attention to what's going on. Keep up. <laughs> but, 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 but I was like, yeah, it's similar. I'm like, it's not exactly the same thing, but it was similar um, but he did, he sent me, he, he sent me one of those, one of those articles about how, um, uh, it was like the, it was about the, how the Southern Poverty Law Center had to take down those articles that were trying to connect, uh, you know, folks on the left with, with, with fascists, right? Like, so yes. it was, so that it was about, he, he was like, you know, I thought this would be interesting if you didn't see this already, this seems, this seems related to what we've been talking about. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of similar to what we're talking about. But, um, you know, and I explained a little bit more, gave a little bit more detail via text or whatever. And I, we went back and forth quite a bit via text. Um, over the time, he was like, you know, update me, you know, as I'm working on this story, blah, blah, blah. If there's anything else going on or if you had any other thoughts. And I, you know, when the Bert, when the story came out about, you know, Bernie Sanders claiming that all the fake Russian bots, you know, hit up his account or whatever. And that was like, nah, that's not exactly what happened. I was like, see, this is what I'm talking about. We need to be very clear with what we're reporting, right? Because even when you, it happened just recently, but when those hearings happened back in the fall, right? With the social media hearings, I'll call them generally. Um, and you listen to uh, Adam Schiff and the rest of the members of Congress, you know, ask these questions. They don't know what they're talking about. They do not know what they're talking about. They're, 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 they're latching onto this notion that somehow Buff Bernie posts, you know, coloring book posts, <laughs> you know, made people hate Hillary Clinton. And it's just like, there are, there is so much that happened. And there, there are, there are accounts that do pry in, on, on people's online behavior, but they're not all foreign. You have folks like Jack Sobiec and the citizens for Trump, that whole, like, like everything about Trump's people and what we now know about Cambridge Analytica, which we knew some of that way before now also, and it wasn't anything anyone talked about. Well, anyone in mainstream spaces talked about, you know, this is a lot of the stuff that most of us who question these narratives have already been digging into, not because we're conspiracy theorists or we don't want to, you know, acknowledge that Russia could be bad, but it's just the fact that there's more to it because it's overly simplistic to say, oh, my God, Russia influenced us. Russia interfered. Influence and interference have not been uh, proven. And they're not even the same word. They don't mean the same thing at all. And it completely disregards like massive election integrity issues we have, including voter disenfranchisement. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I couldn't agree more. Um you know, this guy, Johnny Kaufman, who wrote this ridiculous piece, I wanted to go over some of the contents of it. Um, he writes, by agreeing to appear on two Sputnik programs, Changa gained something hard to find, a bigger platform to broadcast her political views. But her association with Sputnik may put her credibility at risk while furthering Russia's effort to create chaos in the U.S., First, let's talk about the putting her credibility at risk. I mean, it really does sound like a veiled threat. How did you take that? Yeah. 
So I, I'm reading this and I'm like, this is ridiculous because one, it's this notion that because I'm black and I have certain politics that somehow, you know, they're just like, they're, they're at the margin, right? Like I often joke and laugh that I'm not even as left as some of my colleagues, right? And then two, it's like, we actually know from talking to him, Eugene and I both know from talking to this guy, he's actually listened to the content. So we also know that the things that we were discussing, like last week we were discussing Trump's economic um, executive order, that it's not like we're discussing these really deep level fringe science type theories that no one else could ever understand or approve of. It's just that the level of, uh, 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 intellectual honesty that happens in a space that is crafted um, first by Eugene and now with Sean joining him as his co-host, you know, is is not commonly found in more of these mainstream supposed news spaces. And so when I, I read that, I'm like, my my credibility isn't the issue. Like, if you know any of my work, you know, no matter how small it may be to compare to some others, like if you understand who I've been consistently, I'm pretty much the same person. Like when last summer when I was challenging, you know, certain independent progressive, so well, so-called progressive media folks over their mischaracterization of a space crafted by Black Agenda, um, not Black Agenda Report, but Black Alliance for Peace at the UNEC conference last June, um, there was a huge blow up in some spaces over that because they blatantly lied about not just what happened and transpired in that space, but what the purpose was, what people were doing. And it was a space led by John Baraka. And it like, it disturbs me that people abuse platform and power in that capacity. And if we're really trying to build better process and build better political engagement, and we can't just be raging at establishment dims for what they do wrong while in our own spaces, these things are being reproduced and recreated. So my naivete <laughs> to some extent <laughs> And thinking that this guy and WABE, even though NPR does have a host of issues, I have still found growing up listening to public radio with my dad that I was more inclined to, more likely to find uh, a decent, you know, reporting there than I would in other spaces. And that simply, obviously, it was, was just something held over from being a kid, you know, growing up in New York, because that clearly isn't the case, you know, anymore. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to think that these people are just complete shills. I mean, this guy literally did take so much time to try to understand or, or you know, appear to want to understand about progressive spaces outside the mainstream. And it's just hard to believe. But it, but it really is true that these people are really just kind of careerist protectionists of, of their own narratives and agenda. And it's a shame. And, and hilariously, Anoa Kaufman links to that DNI report um, as proof that Sputnik and RT are part of the Russian state propaganda machine. I mean, the same report literally says my old show on RT, Breaking the Set, was instrumental in fomenting that discord that cost Hillary the election. It ended two years prior. <laughs> I love that you pointed that out because I even I, and I love that you pointed out because when we talked and he was asking me about whether or not <laughs> I'm glad you said that because in all of this this past week, I completely forgot about this. And when we talked. I pointed out to him the problems with the DNI report, including the fact that it blamed you specifically <laughs> and your show wasn't even on the air during the period in question. So, like... It, it blamed it, Abby it, for altering the 2012 election, which was <laughs> just surreal that they were on that tip back then. So, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. Like, it is, it is really... It is really crazy the lengths that they go to. But again, still, like, if we're we're really concerned about having misleading propaganda or misleading accounts being fed to the American public, then where is the massive outroar, outcry from mainstream media against Breitbart and mm -hmm. Fox News? Like, Tucker mm -hmm. Carlson, like, I'm not judging folks who go on Tucker Carlson show, but, like, there are plenty of people who go on Fox News and we're not saying, oh, my God, your credibility is you're decimated. You have no place in spaces like there are people here who claim that I'm going down the drain and you can't trust me because I trusted Russians. I didn't trust Russians. I trust. And it's stupid to have to even make this distinction. But because the average person doesn't necessarily do the deep diving and nuance necessary to understand why, you know, the fact that I talked to Eugene, the fact that I've contributed uh, as a guest to Brian Becker's show as well, loud and clear. Like, Brian, one of my favorite episodes, I've said this on Brian's show, was they asked me to come on and debate someone from the Heritage Foundation about voter fraud and Trump's voter, well, basically his voter suppression commission, right? Like, 
that's what we we debated for 20 minutes and it was so much fun and the dude got creamed like <laughs> i'm not sure how that fits putin's agenda but whatever go do do it <laughs> that's what you like to go with people like like it's just like they need to keep americans you know on the teeth so to speak to make make sure that the status quo is upheld because if we start to question and and and, and, and develop our own sources then they won don't have the funding they need because they're going to lose their, their like they're in the middle of fundraising drive right now. W A B E W A B E is in the middle of raising money. And it's just like, you're, you'll, you're willing to craft a narrative that's sensationalized for clicks because you're fundraising possibly or whatever the case may be, but we're not willing to just actually honestly tell the truth and have engaging commentary, which people should want to support and fund as well. Well, I had I had two comments to make about what you just said, Noah, because the one you brought up a really interesting and extremely important point about why is this sort of neoliberal, you know, think tank agenda to smear everybody who goes on Russian media? Why is that such a such a big push to smear everybody who goes on Russian media? But yet it's OK to go on Fox News. It's OK to go on Breitbart. Um, and I find that very interesting that actually when I interviewed um uh, liking online, the guy who was responsible for sort of blowing open that share blue bot network um, managed by David Brock. Um, one of the things he encountered was once he blew open all these, that these share blue bots were actually uh, broadcasting all these DNC talking points through multiple Twitter accounts online, hundreds of them. Um, he actually got rebutted by a talking point from share blue bots who were telling him, who were telling him that, well, this is not a big deal because it's American. It's not foreign meddling. So that, that I, I think that's an interesting distinction to make because to a lot of these people, that's the argument that they have is that because it's Russia, it's bad, but something like Fox or even something like Stormfront or something, you know, that's not a, that right. big of a deal because it's, it's American, you know, it's, it's in our country. So it's okay. Well, uh, and the guy Kaufman works for the national endowment for democracy. Which is which is not a big surprise, but actually that goes to my next comment that I wanted to make, Abby, because one of the things I wanted to ask Noah is just on a gut level, you know, and maybe maybe you have more evidence to to say either way on this, but what did you think that this reporter was doing? Was he sort of getting instructions or talking points from think tanks or this larger ad- agenda that is pushing this narrative, or was he? simply just a lower level reporter for this local affiliate who was trick getting trickled down propaganda, which I guess in my mind almost seems like more scary that there are more regular people now who aren't connected to this apparatus who are, who are trying to, you know, create these kinds of smears. So I'm just wondering, did you think he just sort of did this on his own because he was influenced by what he was seeing in the media or was it more of, he was told by his, you know, bosses to make a, do a hit job on you? Well, I don't know. I, I, this is what I can't figure out. I can't figure out if this is always what it was always going to be because there were a lot of people. Well, I don't know a lot. I know there were a few people who were interviewed by him who never make mention in the article, right? He does make mention of candidates that I'm connected to, which quite honestly, his reporting was reckless and has caused stress for two of them um, unnecessarily because of the way he chose to leverage their space and presence um, on my platform in connection with this. The fact that I have done other interviews has nothing to do with the people that I'm interviewing. I mean, if they, you know, if people, you can look, you can Google me and see that I've been on by any means necessary several times and loud and clear. And so, um, you know, I, I, I don't really know that he always started out with that piece. What I was really thinking is that, I mean, it's possible though with the editor because when he kept getting back to me because he shaped the story with his editor. I do know that from from the email and from our conversation. It's like, you know, well, my editor will make a decision about this type of thing. But I mean, I, I think that also when we look at the lack of maybe editorial control that some reporters may even have within their outlets. But the other problem is that you know, he and the editor, what the, the fact check email that he sent me, he was like, well, it's up, you know, you can here. We want to make sure this is correct, but we may, we might not accept your corrections. And it's just like, 
you want to make sure you what you're putting out is correct, but you might not accept my corrections. What kind of nonsense is that? What I do find interesting is that there clearly is something else because the the the, the professor that's used to rebut myself and Eugene and our experiences. I mean, there's no disclosure for who that man actually works for, aside from the fact that he's a George Washington professor. Part of my own um, problem with this piece is tied to what's been happening, like I said, with the coverage in terms of our, our, our state level elections here um, and the, the inability of predominantly uh, Southern white men who don't understand how to do nuance and discuss matters that involve um, issues of racism and patriarchy and misogyny and all the other intricate things that are happening and playing into the way the two different women running for the democratic nomination way that's playing out like they will publish things from the uh from stacy evans without any pushback or any questioning and and stacy abrams in comparison gets you know I mean, there's all types of nonsense that's published about her. So it's not the same level of scrutiny or, and it's not because one has done, it's one thing if like, it's one thing if one person has done like all these horrible things. So of course you talk about that, right? Like, of course people focus on things with Hillary Clinton when she ran for office because, you know, she had the record that she had and they had to really dig for stuff to, 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 to attack Bernie Sanders on, right? Like, like, so that, that, that's one scenario was different, but when there's actually comparable reason to, to scrutinize people and then it doesn't happen, that's real suspicious. And quite honestly, Honestly, with this piece and with the way they continue to write anything about me, it always gets tied back to Stacey Abrams, even if what I'm doing has nothing to do with her, um, because I've done things that have either been assumed to be in support of her or I've written pieces, again, that seem favorable. But part of the problem, too, is that um, this piece uh, was then leveraged by, again, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with their claim that I'm under scrutiny. And I don't know if there's any other agenda necessarily in terms of funders or how they're spinning it, but I do believe in terms of our local political economy, there's definitely something there in the hopes that, you know, denigrating me will either force people away from me, will either uh, lessen my platform or will um, will, will make, make Abrams look negative. Uh, but but I would not be surprised if there was something else more with with WABE and NPR, particularly when you look at who they use and all that that nonsense and jargon that he starts spouting. Like I really think that this kid thought that he 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 found an interesting topic and was way in over his head, and and they also didn't think that apparently I had the respect and support of so many people who are, who were willing to push back. They're 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 ignoring it, but I don't I don't think they, they're going to be able to ride this one out. Like this is pretty bad. Well, don't worry. They're probably just thinking that everyone is a Russian bot who's criticizing it on Twitter. Um, you know, I wanted to go back really quickly to just the concept of of the content. You know, and the DNI report. How really, when you dig into what it is, what the proof is of this so-called Russian meddling, it literally is talking about reality, right? It's talking about fracking, inequality, war, racism. Um, talking about facts and acknowledging the reality of this country that half the country is living in poverty, living paycheck to paycheck, that's fomenting chaos, that's creating chaos. You're not promoting the Russian line on these radio stations. You're not praising Putin. You know what I mean? I mean, this author's attacking these longtime socialist organizers, you, an incredible progressive activist, instead of asking why people have to go to these platforms that are completely marginalized by corporate media. I mean, they use Sputnik for a reason. When, when has Brian or Eugene ever been invited on corporate media? It's just nuts. I mean, it's, so, so this is what's creating chaos. And it was, is talking simply about the realities of police brutality and inequality and war. Well, and that's what I pointed out, too. I mean, when you look at some of the issues that are being covered by both shows, particularly Eugene's show in as committed and close to activist spaces as Eugene is, I mean, you also look at the people who have been on his show, right? It's a wide range of variety of over 600 guests, I believe, who have been on the show. I mean, they're also raising awareness similar to other folks who have independent platforms or the citizen journalists themselves who've been raising awareness about issues that mainstream media either mischaracterizes, misreports, or just ignores blatantly altogether. And and I think that when you look at what's happening, this this whole well, why would you go on there? It doesn't you, you shouldn't just be going on any platform. 
I mean, you nailed it right there. I got to go on the BBC for all of about five minutes. I got rushed. I you, It was very obvious I was getting rushed off because I wasn't saying what they wanted me to say <laughs> in response to whether or not I wanted Oprah to be president. Like, I <laughs> guess the host thought I was going to be excited about the prospects. And I was like, no, I don't think this is a good idea at all. Wow. And, and after about four minutes, I was like, well, we don't have any more time to talk to you. Like, that's what happens if they make the mistake of letting one of us on their platforms. They don't want to hear from us for real, for real, because it doesn't fit into the narrative that they're trying to sell. And let's be clear, our government is not above reproach and is no different than any other government in terms of the way in which it's construing or misleading information. When we look at the, the what, what, the, 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 all the mainstream outlets are controlled by what, four or five uh, uh, corporate conglomerates, like, Let's just be real about what's going on for our media here. Well, he was like, why don't you just go on Democracy Now? Why don't I just go on <laughs> Democracy Now? I just can't call up Amy Goodland and be like, yo, Amy, put me on your show. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> There's a hierarchy to who gets support and FaceTime. There is a, 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 there, there is an issue with platform access power that is not leveraged to support those who are speaking on behalf of marginalized communities unless they're sporting a blue vest and advertising for Doritos, right? Like so. <laughs> so absurd. <laughs> like there's just that that just does not happen very commonly. So, uh, participating, and I've already told some people, I don't, I'm not ashamed of Eugene, and I'm not going to turn my back and not ever do Eugene's show again. That's stupid. That is some of the best commentary and conversations that I've been a part of, and I'm proud of the conversations I've had with them. You can listen to any of the conversations. You might not agree with me, but you do have to respect that my right to access and platform. The same way we're demanding that people not shout down Nazis or not de-platform white supremacists, why are we upset that I talk to people who I find to be engaging and intelligent? Like That doesn't make any sense. It's funny, too, that he mentioned, um, why don't you go on a democracy now? Uh, like, because that's literally one of the only shows um, that w that's even would be considered remotely progressive at this point. But of course, right. Amy Goodman's never invited any of us on. Um, only a few people I, I know personally have gone on her show. Um, it's and a it very select space. <laughs> yeah. Let's just be honest. Even amongst progressives or leftists. There are the elite, I mean, progressives, unfortunately, and leftists do have their elite spaces. We have recreated some of the same hierarchies within our spaces of who is worthy of being on those larger platforms and who just isn't on the radar for whatever reason. And that happens politically, too, in some places. People have the same issues with celebrity activism and hero worship that we complain about. I know folks were really excited last week when Bernie Sanders quoted Cardi B, but I really had a Hillary hot sauce in my bag swag moment. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> oh, you quoting Cardi. <laughs> and... Totally, dude. And and Kaufman, you know, has this old white dude, this international relations professor, Robert Ortung. I love this. Smearing two black radicals and then having on this old white man to talk about the dangers of Russian media. He's like, these platforms are set up for the sole purpose of promoting the Kremlin line. The idea is to create as much chaos as possible because the Russians see it as a zero-sum game where anything that weakens us is going to strengthen them. So we, us white people, are being undermined by black activists talking about imperialism and racism. What do you think about it, this old white guy telling black radicals how to do their jobs? <laughs> Um, I found, I found the part like, and it was, it was, I was already bothered by him being included in the story, right? Because I'm just like, what does this have to do with anything? Like the, the notion that, like what he was saying was so out of some old Cold War era's like conversation. I'm like, what is he even talking about? This notion that you're contributing to, you know, the propaganda of the Kremlin. I'm like, you haven't probably never listened to anything either one of us have ever had to say. So you don't know what we're doing. This is an overgeneralization that is used to just silence people at a time where platforms and access is being leveraged to make sure that Nazis and white supremacists who spew crap have the ability to say what they want to say unchecked. It's what like insane. Then when Adam Johnson like dug deeper and, 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 and revealed this guy's like the work he actually does, he actually is a Cold War holdover at some right-leaning uh, think tank. So like that's, that's government funded. So how do you slam me for supposedly, you know, uh, being on government funded propaganda with government funded propaganda? Like it's just, it's just hypocritical and it, it, it has no relation to what we're talking about. 
it kind of reminds me of when uh, Jamie Kerchick came out and smeared Abby and of about a week after that happened and he smeared her for appearing on Kremlin of Kremlin propaganda channel. Mm. And then uh, about a week later, a journalist named Jay Pino revealed that Jamie Kerchick actually worked for radio free Liberty, which was the U S state funded media outlet. Right. Right. So it's interesting that a lot of these people who pop up during these events are also state funded media. They just are state funded by the United States government. (laughs) Yeah, this guy works for the National Endowment for Democracy. Um, and also NPR is funded in part by the U.S. government. I didn't realize that until reading Adam Johnson's piece. I, I thank nuts. you, Adam, because I didn't realize that either. I mean, I just I just didn't realize. I mean, I guess it made sense um, when you think back to the cuts and stuff that were happening. But I just I just didn't think about it like that. But uh, it was it just was really interesting, like the, the virtue posturing that is happening <laughs> on this platform it's like you're not any different and you're doing a really poor job it's just on on some levels i just really wish he would have just he just would have just just scrapped the piece because it's like either you can't do or you don't understand the very complexity of this topic to discuss it like even if this was going to be a piece about black russians Right, not mm-hmm. the drink, you know, whiskey's like the jeans. <laughs> like, even if that was what it was going to be about, like, he doesn't have obviously the mental dexterity or understanding to really have this conversation. A friend of mine, or actually one of the one of our senior writers at Progressive Army, um, he's from Seattle. Uh, he's white, and he was just saying, like, I realized that five years ago, I might have read this piece about you. And I probably would have just taken every everything at face value and believed it. But now, not just because I know you, but knowing what I know about this conversation and this issue and how it's not as simplistic as is reported, I see the glaring issues. But he was just like, I can see why people will read this and they're going to be confused and they're going to think it's the absolute truth. Omissions are lies. I mean, like, it's not, you can't omit pertinent information about people and who they are. You can't mischaracterize them and say, oh, but I did a good job. I was fair and balanced. And that's what Kaufman told my friend, my, my friend Marcus Farrell. He told him, he's like, he was like, oh, but I, I thought I was fair and balanced. I don't know why, how anyone looks at that and thinks they're fair and balanced. Like, there's nothing fair and balanced about it. Like, it's, it's, and that gets picked up again by the Atlanta Journal Constitution and it's just reported on their blog, on their, 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 their paper's blog, real briefly that, this story happened. I'm upset about it, but I'm under scrutiny because I'm under scrutiny. And it's like, I'm under scrutiny from where? From who? <laughs> WABE and NPR are under scrutiny for that craptastic job. Your paper should be under scrutiny because this is a dumb post. But the problem is they have such a huge platform and they're able to reach so many people and they say whatever they want to say and don't think they should be checked or have to be held accountable or responsible for it. And it's just not right. Yeah. Robbie, read that quote about the white supremacist groups. It was just an insane quote from the report. (laughs) Many media reports describe links between white supremacist groups and Russian propaganda outlets like Sputnik. Yeah, I mean, like, what the fuck? It it went beyond calling you guys useful idiots and basically said how, you know, how stupid could they be? Not only are they black, but they're working with like an outlet that has ties to white supremacists. I mean, that just blew me away. Right. And I've actually had people say that to me, like in the mentions, I'm just meeting folks left and right who are stupid. Like, you're stupid. How are you talking about I'm being used by the right? Do you even listen to my commentary? Do you even know what I'm talking about? Like, I, (laughs) I'm a radical black woman living in the South and you think I'm being used by the right? Like, are you serious? I'm calling out white fragility and I drink white tears for hydration regularly. You think the right is using me? No, sweetheart. You people are falling into their trap by trying to silence me because you don't want to talk about these issues. Like, let's just be real. Like, when we're looking at what is happening post-Trump, I mean, basically, the right has played this whole entire country, but we're talking to black people like it's our fault. I don't, I don't, like, Cory Booker talking about it's our fault because we didn't turn out and vote. No, this is not on us. Y'all need to go on someplace with that. It was interesting, Abby, that quote um, that was pulled from the article about uh, having links to white supremacy. Uh, I went, I'm actually reading the article right now. And of course, it, not a surprise. It's entirely based on the uh, research from the Alliance Securing Democracy, which is the think tank that Mike, that Bill Crystal and Michael Shertoff sit on the board of. 
And this think tank has been trying to put out the narrative for at least, I would say, almost a year that sort of the, this almost like the horseshoe theory that the alt left, you know, this idea of the alt left and the alt right are both being promoted by Russia. And then all this, this right wing, these right wing narratives are also being boosted by Russia. So in essence, you know, all the most deplorable or the worst stuff we see in the media is all because of Russia. You know, it's not just Russian propaganda. It's also the alt right. Um, so it just gets really messy and, and convoluted when they try to put out narratives this all-encompassing, and um, I guess that's all I really have to say about that. I just wanted to interject with that. Yeah, and, and and the report, you know, took it even one step further than even that and actually went and confronted a congressional representative that you've interviewed to try to get him to denounce his affiliation with you. What was your reaction to that? So I was actually really angry. Like, I was really angry when I read that. Very angry, because that's also someone who asked me to endorse him as well as connect him to other people for interview. Because of my outrage and other people like kind of like, yo, that's not a good look. We can't support you. He emailed me and sent me. He was actually smart enough to, re- to record his full 30 minute conversation with Kaufman. His full 30 minute conversation, what how he's quoted. That's not what's said in the interview. And that's also a problem. So there are quotes from people who were interviewed that were completely left out. People like um, Councilman Khalid Kamau, who uh, is considered the first elected Black Lives Matter official. You know, he's a member of DSA along with me. Um, he gave he gave some very nuanced commentary that he told me about that was not mentioned at all. There were other people who were like, yeah, you know, I talked to him. That was not mentioned at all. But, um, you know, uh, uh Congress, uh, well, not congressman, <laughs> but uh, running candidate Winfield was taken out of context. And um, that's not quite what he said. What he what he said on the recording that I was provided, I'm still bothered by it, but it's not nearly, I'm like, okay, well, that's your opinion, dude. I don't care. Yeah. He, he's made some reference to, like, he, he felt like it could be poor judgment on my part. But really, like, Kaufman asked him, like, several different times if it was an issue. But here's the other thing, like, he admits... Winfield admits that he's not familiar with Sputnik. And when you say to people, oh, Noah went on Sputnik, if people aren't familiar, in which the average American is not, same thing when they talk about people going on RT. Like, they're not familiar. They don't know. You don't know what the show is. You don't know what the program is. You don't know what the content was. But you're at, being asked to give an opinion about something that you don't know anything about. And all you know is that Russia is bad because that's what the media tells you. That's the problem. And we're complaining about Ru- propaganda and people being manipulated while we're spewing propaganda and manipulating people. I'm really not understanding how this makes sense. I mean, I know why it makes sense to them, but it's just like, it's not logical. Um, you, you got a really big outpouring of support um, from people who jumped to your defense after this smear piece came out about you, Anoa. Um, and the author pretended not to be affected by the ratio of people complaining about this McCarthy <laughs> smear against you. Um, talk about what happened afterwards and the backlash to this piece. Um, and if you ever got a response from the author afterwards. Nope. No response. Wow. I, I, I have not gotten a response at all. Um, I know Benjamin Dixon, who I work with through Progressive Army, and uh, he is he's been like going hard on this because I work full time too. Right. So, um, I have not heard from any of them. I have not heard actually the author, one of the bloggers from one of the reporters from AJC actually blocked me for demanding that they correct, they correct their, their stuff. Um, so no, they have not responded. They, no one who has tried to call or email has received the real response from them and I'm sure they think that they can just ride this out and this will just go away you know little did Johnny Kaufman know and WAB know you know oh my gosh she has 14,000 followers well apparently that 14,000 follower reach and thanks guys because I increased by about a thousand since mm-hmm. you did this like that reach reached enough people who were like this is not right and there are some of those who are just capitalizing for clicks too but whatever but there are a lot of people who are like, this is not right. And I was really surprised. Not that, not, that it's, not that I'm surprised that people took issue with what happened. I'm just surprised that people who made statements about me personally and my integrity and respect, because I really didn't realize that so many people actually paid attention. Um, 
you know, so it's, it's been, it's been very reaffirming. I, again, because I am involved here locally, I was really more concerned than anything else that, um, it would affect my ability to move in spaces here. And that from this week, from this week and events I was a part of this weekend, that's not, that's so far from the, the case. So many people see right through what happened and they're not bothered in the least and think if anything, it makes the two outlets look really bad. Yeah, I think people who are involved in activism on the ground, grassroots, telling the truth from the ground up and and from these movements kind of see through it, hopefully, although I do feel like it is ensnaring more and more people. I mean, back in November of 2017, you mentioned that nation piece that you wrote entitled, Please Stop Calling Black Activism Divisive. You talk about how the Russia obsession is marginalizing black voices. I mean, did you foresee how bad it would get so quickly where it would actually ensnare you? And where do you see it going given the current climate? Well, that was the thing, right? I never, I never imagined that it would, I was concerned. Like a group of us were really concerned having these conversations because again, like listening to Marcus and I like how I wrote in my, on my, on my blog, I wrote that like, like seriously, we went back and forth and it was like he was looking at the end of potentially his career, right? Like that that piece in the AJC and that was actually pretty bad because the piece in the AJC that ran in October last year, um, they didn't even, interv- they did not interview him. They did not call him for comment or anything. They just ran with the story. And he had to call the that reporter, Greg Bluestein, and get him to change or at least add in information. All they did is, was say was like, you know, Deputy manager for Stacey Abrams campaign campaign did um, interviews with Russian, you know, outlet Sputnik and, you know, had a link to the report similar to the to the BS that's in Johnny's story. And that was it, you know, um, but they had all the information like they knew the different guests who had been on Eugene's show. They knew the episodes and question that Marcus had been on, what he actually talked about. So when they updated the piece, they admit that there was nothing controversial about what was said. They acknowledged the show and who else was on there. But, like, the initial piece was just so ridiculous. It was very clear that it was politically slanted and there was only one purpose for doing that. And so when I'm looking, that 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 made me concerned. And it also made me concerned just listening. I think I was actually had been listening to Adam Schiff give an interview talking about divisive issues. I've even heard Bernie Sanders use that phrase, too. And so seeing the where things were going, seeing what is happening and how we know about the FBI you know, um, uh, spying on black activists. I mean, not that that's new, but this is, we're in a new wave of that type of behavior. And the fixation on black identity extremists, I was really concerned about this. Now we're claiming that, you know, black activism and this wave of black activism that we're currently in, um, anti-racist activism, is somehow linked to, you know, nefarious efforts from those overseas instead of actually addressing the actual issues and somehow demonizing people themselves. I mean, coming from the family background that I come from, it does concern me very much that people's safety and their livelihood and their experiences and ability to make change would be affected and threatened. No, I did not realize because when that story came out in October, I'm also on the list of people that they had access to. So it's not that this was a secret or not known. And again, I wrote that that piece of the nation back in November. So all of this stuff is not like it's a secret or wasn't known. So when this is happening now, like and the the level of intensity that's kind of getting turned up on this, I really do feel like there is a need to keep this going if it's not for war drum purposes for, you know, clickbait donor purposes, like whatever the case may be, there is an, there is a, 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 there is a vested interest in not having certain voices have access to certain platforms and to have certain issues remain under the radar and not really getting attention. Like people are okay with Black Lives Matter and, you know, oh my God, like keeping it as isolated events, right? Like with the coverage, when you would see the coverage, there hasn't really been comprehensive coverage as a whole on these issues of systemic racism and, you know, systemic oppression as they affect people in this country. You might have a good piece here and there, but when we're looking at news coverage, it treats things as if they're isolated incidents all separate from each other and not a part of a pattern and practice of the way the United States of America has engaged in addressing black people in particular, but others from marginalized backgrounds as well. So, um, I, I, I did not, I did not think about it. And, you know, we, 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 
my family, like my parents, they 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 they've been joking with me all week. They were they were very angry at first, but we're all joking about it now. My dad's like, ha ha ha, that's Fidania, black Russian. But like, <laughs> we, I I didn't expect it, and I was concerned. I mean, I have I have I have children. I like I said, I have a family. Like I'm concerned. I'm concerned because. Um, you know, we just saw with Sean King with him traveling abroad, the reports of him having issues coming back from Egypt. I mean, I'm not traveling abroad anytime soon, but I'm concerned about being labeled and being put on lists, whether or not I'm already on a list, who knows? But I'm, I am concerned about that type of stuff because in allegedly we live in a country where we're supposed to have certain freedoms and access to be able to, to, to address issues of injustice. But we know that that's really not the case. And those who are this generation's, you know, griots and freedom fighters are going to be the ones that were marginalized and repressed. I mean, right here in Georgia, in Noonan, Georgia, about 40 miles south of um, southwest of Atlanta, we just saw armed police this past weekend defending the presence of Nazis and and holding, you know, anti-racist, anti-fascist um, counter-protesters at at gunpoint with militarized equipment so i mean we're living in i I won't necessarily say we're 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 exactly the way things were in the 60s but we're 50 years post 68 and there's a lot of things that are coming back around and as as a cycle and and hopefully we're going to be able to break it yeah i i strongly agree with that i mean it's it's not just you know that a lot of people i think are sort of overgeneralizing with this term new McCarthyism. But I, I think that at the same time, there's a very real phenomenon happening here where we are having like disturbing echoes of, of sort of a, the similar era that, you know, America already went through in the 1960s. Um, and I mean, in, just in terms of the Trump phenomenon, um, it's it's disturbing because the establishment's obsession with Russia has made so much of the bad, horrible things that Trump is doing be completely overlooked um, and overshadowed by this obsession with Russia. Um, then you have the constant attempts to link leftists to the alt-right, uh, which I know you have spoken up, you have spoken a lot about. So um, wh- what do you think about that? Well, I think that that there is, I mean, we're currently in a situation that is the making of these establishment forces playing around with, um, oh, yeah, ha, 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 let's get these good ratings. But the CB, head of CBS thought Trump was good for ratings, and that's why they gave him airtime. I mean, Donald Trump got $2 billion of free airtime across the, the election cycle, and people wonder why having him plastered all over the TV um why that had an effect one way or another on the American public. I mean, we're also looking at some of the stuff that's been going on. You and I talked briefly about this a couple of different times about this notion that somehow we need to team up with certain other figures to address some of these issues that we claim we care about. There's a real superficial analysis that happens um, in these spaces on, on quote unquote, all sides. And, and it's, it, it's really detrimental to the work that, you know, like you all do, the work that I do, the other folks who are trying to really not just build good commentary, but to really push narratives that are uh, inherently focused on um, issues of equity and justice, right? And so when we're talking about, you know, um, these narratives around the alt-right, I mean, you know, they can they can post however many pictures they want of whatever dapper racist they want to, Um <laughs> You know, we're we're still not we're still not it's 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 at odds. I mean, I really think that even platforms that may consider themselves like progressive ish, I mean, find themselves at odds with really taking on to task the issue of white supremacy and the rise of the alt right um, in recent in these past few years. Because at the end of the day, they they have a vested interest in the status quo and making sure that the status quo exists. I mean, sure, you know, a couple of people here and there may get platform access or get thrown a bone, but ultimately they don't want the system to change because that's their bread and butter and that's what they're comfortable with. And a lot of people don't like to do what's uncomfortable. I mean, I know I don't like doing what's uncomfortable, but unfortunately at times it's necessary to be uncomfortable because it's when we work through that discomfort, that's how we get to something better, Um you know, I'm sure it wasn't comfortable for folks who did sit-ins uh, in the in the 60s getting food dumped on them and stuff like that, right? <laughs> but it was necessary action. 
And so we have to, you know, be strong in conviction and resolve and push work forward. That is a problem I'm having, too, with this space. Like, there are a lot of people who built massive platforms around Bernie Sanders, the grassroots campaign, and the fact that he did not get nearly any, um, um, you know, compared to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, he got very little news coverage on mainstream outlets. So there are tons of people. Some of them are doing really, really great work. But there are some of those you know, um, who, who, for lack of a better word, have been grifters who, who, who entered this space under false pretenses and, and, and now have these massive platforms. So, like, I'm not jealous or upset that I don't have a larger platform as other people. I go where I feel it is a valuable space that I can add value and contribute to. And I'm more than happy to, to step out of the way for someone else to be there instead of me. But I do have a problem with people using me and my this instance of my marginalization and further marginalizing my voice. Because it's really insulting for someone who has claimed I was violent, who has lied, who has me blocked right now to be tweeting about how horrible this is that this is happening to me. Like, I don't even understand. Like, it's like the caucasity of all of it is, is astonishing. But, um, but, I, but, I, but I just think that we, I mean, we got to just keep pushing for better discourse. Like my, the, my kids, my kids are like, okay, so now this is interesting. Like, I'm, t- I'm glad you finally stopped talking about Hillary Clinton because this stuff that you're talking about now is interesting. And, and this is wild. And, and they, they, they think it's funny that, that I'm getting like all this attention nationally. They're like, cool, this is cool. I'm like, I'm like, mommy's a little concerned about this though. And they were like, oh, they didn't think about it. But when I sat down and we, we, we started talking about some of these different issues, you know, they're 16 and 14. And we're talking about the complexity of the world around us. Like, you know, they're they're grappling with what does Parkland and that whole movement even mean for them as black teens living in Atlanta. We used to live in West Virginia. So, you know, we're not necessarily an anti-gun family, but we're definitely in favor of gun control. So, like, there are so many issues and things that are going on in our family and our spaces and in our community that we're all grappling with. So when I see people making these arguments online, it's like. There's this whole space. Many of us use Twitter for various reasons, but there are some of us who use it to advance these platforms and have conversations that are really focused on on, on truly effectuating change. Then there are others who are simply just grifting for clicks because they need to build up their Patreon. I mean, we're in a really dangerous time and we need to be combating both of these narratives and challenging those in power. And and the person that's in power the most is obviously Donald Trump and his religious evangelical minions who are instating uh, these judges across the country that are extremely evangelical. I mean, there's so many things happening behind the scenes. And this notion that the alt-right is somehow a valid entity that we need to be working with is completely erroneous. I mean, for multiple levels, but for the very obvious one that they're not anti-war. I mean, Trump did not run on an anti-war platform. He talked about bombing terrorist families. He talked about wiping out ISIS, torturing people. Um, and, and then and then beyond that, let's just say for the, for the sake of argument that they are anti-war, their ultimate goal is to destroy the left. They blame the left for literally everything that's wrong with the world. So why the fuck would I want to work with someone who does not acknowledge my existence nor yours, Anoa? Right. No, absolutely. And I mean, in, in bottom line, right, being anti-war, you guys, you know this, you guys know this, being anti-war is insufficient. You have to be anti-militarism. They're not anti-militarism. Right, right. You have to be anti-racist. You have to be, um, <laughs> right, you, know, right. you have to be all these things. Like being anti-war, they're not, and you can't be like, oh, I'm against this one particular incursion, so now I'm anti-war. And the thing is, like, it's totally ridiculous that somehow we need these people to be anti-war. Well, there's actually a robust anti-war movement in this country. Like there are actually people you can go search out you there's UNAC, there's answer there's so many different there's code pink there's so many different organizations and entities that already exist that are already working in these spaces who could use more people you know to put their 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 minds and their hands on this work that it doesn't require and 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 it doesn't require reaching out to Mike Cernovich who's a uber grifter or 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 Jack Sobiek or whomever you're trying oh we just need to look past that because at least we can stop war when we're not looking at the fact that the same attitude towards militarism and war that affects countries abroad is the same attitude that decimates black and brown communities at home if you're not understanding that we really don't need to be in the same space together like I wish you well on what you're doing but we 
we can't we can't break bread and that's just what it is and folks took that also during that during that conversation we were having it last summer like well you're saying you don't want to you don't care about people and, and and getting their vote there's a big difference between these 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 uh, these figures that people are claiming we need to talk to because we need to reach those voters left behind. No, why would you join propagandists who spread propaganda, who lie, who fuel and further insanity and 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 ignorance to reach people when we're supposed to be about something that's supposed to be different and righteous? That doesn't make any sense. If we're really about reaching people and crossing over between red and blue and all that other good stuff, then we just get out there and organize and talk to people about the issues. Like I said, I lived in West Virginia for seven years. And one of the things I, I learned from that experience, like my one of my favorite expressions, I, 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 I think I came up with it on my own. Apparently, there are things that I think I come up with sometimes and, and I might have read it in a journal someplace instead. But like, you know, from the hood to the holler, like we all have very similar struggle, like growing up poor in New York and Chicago and then moving to West Virginia and, and, and going to hollers and, and having friends and trailers and stuff and seeing, you know, Appalachian poverty, it's different, but there's a lot of similarities. And, and, and when we really look back in history, when we look at like, you know, attempts to organize tenant farmers down here in the South and crossing over, like it's been these artificial structures that have been put in place that have kept, you know, working class divided along racial lines. And it's not that economic based analysis or organizing alone will work. It definitely has to have, you know, a component to it that addresses racial injustice and other injustices along uh, social construct lines. But but when we're looking at the working class, like there was a really good piece in New Republic not too long ago by Josh Mound that talked about the issue that Democrats have is not that they got to get back white working class, it's that they got to get back the working class. Like they got to just, Democrats need to start talking about issues that affect the working class, that 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 approve. Now, that doesn't mean that that's all you talk about, because we don't need to give up on racial and social justice issues as well, but we need to talk about all of it. And we need to bring everybody along with us instead of trying to appeal to, you know, these moderate middle income, whether they're Democrat or Republican white people like like that's that's not that's not going to work. And that doesn't move people to action. And so this whole notion about working with the alt right, alt light, like whatever euphemism they use these days or whatever. I mean, it's acting as if there's something that can happen, some discussion that can occur that we could all uh, uh, collaborate on requires people like me and my my the safety the, the issues I'm concerned about with my children with my family that I need to put my actual life and concerns on hold because somebody else's sensibilities are affected that doesn't make any sense I just found something that you said and know a really interesting um about 10 minutes ago in our in our interview um this whole notion that it's this idea that changing some of these things in our society are uncomfortable and even talking about them are, and that this keeping maintaining the status quo in general is just more comfortable. Um, and it feels like, you know, one of the takeaways from what you're saying is that this whole notion of Russian meddling and this idea that people who talk about these quote uncomfortable subjects are somehow Russian tools is just so absurd when you think about how basically what they're doing is they're using Russian meddling as an excuse to not change the status quo and not, mm-hmm. o- and not only just to not change it, but to not even address it and like the, not to address the problems with it and, yeah. and, the, and the things that should change. So that's, it really just shows how dire the situation here is in this country that they're trying to shut down even dialogue about these fundamental problems that people are facing all over this country. So it's um, it's a, it's really uh, sad that that's ultimately what it's what it's doing. It's designed to intimidate people out of raising these subjects and talking about these important issues. And, and I know, know where, what, what are you, are you working, working on right, right now, now, and where, where can people find out more about, about your work? And, and just, just any closing advice, advice that you can give to you know emerging activists, activists or leftists who are struggling to find their voice in space in the current climate. Well, I mean, folks can find me on. Facebook uh, and all its evil. I know we all need to migrate <laughs> from there <laughs> on uh, Facebook um, or on uh, Twitter, the way with Anoa um, on Facebook. It's just Anoa Changa ESQ. And um, I am updating my website. So it's more reflective of actually what I'm working on versus just a 
holding place for my podcast, but you guys can check out my podcast. It's on iTunes and iHeartRadio and Google Play and stuff like that. Um, and and right now, I just did a, a, a training this weekend with some, some organizers, which is really cool. But um, just really starting to dig in with my local. Like, I, I, I've been talking for all this time now since I got started about how people need to get local, get local, dig in, be, be the change where you are. And my daughter said to me one day, she's like, okay, so you're a hypocrite. When are you going to like, actually like, like find an organization a home locally? It's not exactly what she said, but basically that's what she <laughs> said to me. And so I did, and I joined, I joined our local DSA chapter and got involved. I'm getting involved and I'm a, just found out that I actually was nominated to our um, steering committee for the Southern caucus and so I'm, I'm looking at how can I be impactful in helping to make sure that we're organizing um, in an equitable and judicial manner here in the South within that space. And then also working with a, a, a local social justice alliance that grew out of the, the Women's March work. So um, working with them to see if we can start doing some more state level policy type organizing as well. So it's pretty cool. In addition, and, 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 and then, I, you know, I have my day job. As a mommy and a lawyer, so <laughs> <laughs> you're a huge inspiration. It was really, really great to have you on, Anoa. Well, it was really great talking with both of you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks thank so you much. so much for coming on today, Anoa. And I just cannot recommend um, your work and your platform enough. Um, what I really admire about you is that you continuously stand up for your principles, and you are not pushed around and um, by these sort of forces that you know try to push people into these camps. You're, you're unique in the sense that you stand up for what you believe in and you speak loudly about it. And, um, and I just really admire that and appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Anoa. Appreciate you guys. Peace.